Hey guys, welcome to Line by Line. This is a podcast where you can hear expository teaching from the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it. God bless, and let's talk about the Bible. Psalm 37 in our study through the book of Psalms. It has a simple title, a Psalm of David. We've seen this many times before, so that gives us our author as well. David wrote this Psalm. If we were to give this Psalm a theme, I think we could say that the theme of Psalm 37 is about the future of the righteous and the future of the wicked. Okay, so this Psalm tells us what the future holds for people in both of these camps, okay? those who are among the righteous and those who are among the wicked. And it's coming from a man who is now up in age. Okay, David is old at this point, so he's been around the block. And he uses that wisdom that has come with his age to instruct us on the peace and on the justice of God as it relates to the future of the wicked and of the righteous. Okay, so also this psalm here is like several of them, but this psalm, Psalm 37, is written in acrostic form, okay, which means that each verse begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. However, you may have noticed that there's 40 verses in this psalm. So that means two verses begin with each letter of the alphabet. In other words, for example, if this psalm were written in English, there would be two A's and two B's and two C's and on and on like that. But this psalm is also a teaching psalm, as are really all of the acrostic psalms. That's a form of teaching that's very common um, in Hebrew language and Hebrew culture. And so this psalm of wisdom is wisdom that's directed toward man, not toward God, for example. So this is a wisdom psalm that's going to bring wisdom to us. And it's also written, you probably have noticed, a lot like a proverb with a lot of contrasts throughout these 40 verses. And it teaches us about the future, more or less, among some other things, but more specifically, David pictures a contrast here between two different kinds of futures that are ahead, again, for the righteous and for the wicked. The righteous, for example, they have an inheritance from the Lord to look forward to. That's a good thing. However, the wicked, as we're going to see, have actually no future at all, no eternal future, so to speak, at all. They're going to soon be cut off after their current season of sin. So two very different futures. And for the sake of time, since this psalm is so long, again, 40 verses, I'm not going to read it aloud for you beforehand because my hope is to cover this, this thing tonight in one lesson. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it verse by verse. Psalm 37, starting in verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. And I read that and I think, boy, if we could just get that down right there. Okay, if we could just stop worrying and stop stressing about those who do evil. Man, do we see this right now? We most certainly do in the Christian community. People are fretting and worrying about those who do evil. I mean, if we could just stop that, stop the stressing, stop the envying, because I think we'll come to find out that their careers are not as glamorous as they seem. These people who are boasting, these evildoers, their wealth doesn't provide them the security that they think it does, and their happiness is only temporary. So don't envy those who don't have Jesus would be a good thing to say here. 
To envy means to resent. It means to be discontent. And the word fret here means to get worked up. So believers shouldn't get all worked up about a world that hates Jesus. Okay, don't get worked up about that. What should we do? We should wait. Look at verse 2. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb or herb. So the wicked have a short amount of time to do their wickedness. Okay, a very short amount of time. So what is there to fret? What is there to be envious about? Because all of the wicked pursuits are going to ultimately amount to exactly nothing. Okay, they will be cut down and they will wither. So wait on Christ to have his way. Okay, have patience, believer, because Christ will do the work. Our job is to do the waiting and the trusting and let Christ do the work. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. So do two things, right? Trust and do. In other words, believe and behave. All right, as believers, we need to trust God to take care of things. He will take care of all of the wickedness that we find in this world. So don't fret and don't envy their portion in this life because it's very, very short. Our job is to do good and to dwell in the land and to feed on his faithfulness. I love that word picture. But the word to dwell here in the Hebrew, it means to settle down. That's what dwell means. So go ahead, believer. You can settle down. You can pitch your tent. You can actually set up camp and relax, okay, in the place that God has given you. Rest in the goodness of your God and feed on his faithfulness. So the contrast here is faith is better than fretting. Because those who choose to do wickedness will soon be cut down like the grass. However, those who trust in the Lord and do good, well, they're going to feast forever on the faithfulness of God. We will dwell there, right? Our souls will settle down there in that place in the faithfulness of our God. How beautiful is that? Verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So believers are to do good. They're to dwell, they're to feed, and now we see that they are to delight in the Lord. So abstain from evil by doing good, stay near to the Lord Jesus, and receive all of the nourishment that you need from Him. And by the way, take pleasure in Him. So if we will focus on those four things, again, doing, dwelling, feeding, and delighting in the Lord, then He's going to give us the desires of our heart. And that's not to say because our desires are good. No, but because our desires have now become His desires. You know, God loves, He absolutely loves giving His children the desires of their heart. I hope you know that tonight. I mean, He did that. I know this to be true in my own life. He did that for Chris and I when we moved out here. He gave us the desires of our heart. And He does this for many, many of his children, but he does this to those children who have done their best to honor him with their work, to those who have dwelt with him along the path of life. They have depended upon his provisions for them, meaning they have fed upon his faithfulness and then completely delighted in him. Now, I'm not 
saying that I've always done that. No, of course not. Nor do I deserve the blessings of God because I do not. I'm just saying, don't feel guilty when God gives you the desires of your heart. Don't feel guilty about that. But essentially, what David is saying here is that God will give you more of himself. Those who delight in him will get more of Jesus. Okay, and personally, I know that I could use more of the Lord in my life and less of me. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So here we see that the doing and the dwelling, the feeding and delighting, they're not just a one-time thing. All right, it's not a one-time thing. It's a commitment. These things are a commitment. Our trust in the Lord should actually be our way of life, right? And the believer who commits his life to the Lord can expect God to bring something to pass. And what is that? What is it that he will bring to pass? Will it be my desires from verse 4, for example? Or do we find our answer in verse 6? What will God bring to pass to those who delight in him? David says in verse 6, He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So you see, the goal of living for God is not to get things. Okay, not at all. It's to become something. And what's that? Righteous. Okay, God wants to bring forth your righteousness, a life that's committed to the Lord, trusting in Him, dwelling with Him, feeding on Him, and delighting in Him will result in God bringing forth righteousness in that life. Okay? And one who is righteous before the Lord should also expect justice from the Lord. And look here, it's going to be visible for all the world to see. Did you catch that? So the righteous or the righteousness that God will work in your life and the justice that God will work on your behalf will be as bright as the noonday sun. Guys, the wicked work in secret. The wicked work in the dark. But God works in the light. Righteousness and justice are both God's business, and He will accomplish both of, this, both of these things for those who trust in Him. Therefore, verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. So the reality of this fallen world is that Obviously, sometimes people try to hurt us. That's just the reality of the world that we live in. And sometimes those people who try to hurt us, they seem to prosper in their way. Okay, like there's just no consequences and it doesn't seem fair. But God's word says to rest in the Lord. It says to wait patiently for him. You see, the wicked have such a short time to enjoy their success And at times, it just looks like they're prospering all over the place. But in reality, this is a very costly short-term gain with a very temporary reward, okay? The consequences, I can assure you, based on Scripture, are coming. But notice, those who trust in the Lord, they're not waiting to prosper in their ways at all. What are they waiting for? They're not waiting for prosperity. They're waiting for a person. David says, wait patiently for him. So guys, we're not waiting for a better day to come, okay? As believers, we're not looking around for a better way. No, as believers, we are waiting patiently 
for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We desire more of Him, not more success in this life. So be careful how you define prosperity. Verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Okay, so here we see a distinction between anger and wrath because not all anger is wrath. Okay, however, our anger can most certainly lead to that. Our anger can lead to wrath or it can become wrathful. So David is telling us to stop being angry so as to forsake becoming wrathful. And then he mentions the word fret again for the third time in just eight verses. We need to understand that worrying is not something that believers should be familiar with. Okay? Faith should conquer our fears. Because worry, it can lead to several things. And as we see in this verse, it can lead to wrath. When we're scared, we can tend to lash out. We can get a short fuse. But worry can end up causing all kinds of harm in our life. And primarily, it causes the most harm to the one who's doing all the worrying. Worry can cloud your thinking. It can cause you to make poor decisions. And of course, it can be a breeding ground for anger and wrath. Not to mention all of the physical problems that can come along with worry. Things like ulcers, high blood pressure, lack of sleep, extreme anxiety. Worry causes harm. So David says simply, don't do that. <laughs> don't do it. Rest in the Lord. Verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So here, David begins to look toward eternal life. He looks to the future. Those who wait on the Lord, meaning those who trust in the Lord, will inherit eternal life with him. In other words, the believers are going to remain with God. However, the evildoers will be cut off from God. They're going to be separated from him. And we'll talk more about uh, believers inheriting the earth a little bit more once we get down to verse 11. Look at verse 10. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. So this speaks to the temporal nature of sin and those who choose to walk in wickedness. Okay, The path of the wicked, the one that they choose, is a very, very short path. And one of these days, we're going to all look around and not see any more wickedness. Okay, They're all going to be gone. The wicked will be no more. So we need to understand that the pleasure of sin is passing, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. And before you know it, it's going to be gone. And all that is going to be left at that point will be the consequences of that sin. Pleasure is going to give way to consequence, which for those who continue to reject Christ and end up dying in their wickedness, then it's going to mean spending an eternity in hell, separated from God forever, while continuing to pay the penalty of that sin for eternity. Again, the wages of sin is death, the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Verse 11, But the meek, again the contrast, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now, Jesus quoted from this verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, in what we call the Beatitudes, which are the eight blessings that he gave in his Sermon on the Mount. But what does Scripture mean when it says the meek will inherit the earth? Well, I think this 
reality of a future new heaven and a future new earth is taught all over the Bible. It's taught in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We see it mentioned, for example, in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, where it says, The former things shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Isaiah mentions it again in chapter 66, verse 22, and it says that this will be a place where God's people remain. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13, in the New Testament, Peter writes that righteousness will dwell there, the new heavens and the new earth. And then, of course, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it tells us that when the new heavens and the new earth come, that the first heaven and the first earth will have passed away. At that time, and of course here in Psalm 37, 11, we, said, we see that the humble or the meek are going to delight themselves in the abundance of peace that we find there. So what does this tell us? It tells us that to inherit the earth is to inherit eternity. That's what that means. Those who humble themselves before God and trust in Him for their salvation now, today, will inherit everlasting life with him in the future. In other words, they will inherit a life that remains long after wickedness is gone. I mean, wouldn't you rather have that life? Wouldn't you rather have that life that remains with God than a short life in the passing pleasures of sin? Look at verses 12 and 13. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Now, the Lord obviously takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We read that in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. But he does laugh at the wicked's plots against the just. The wicked, because of their own pride and their own self-absorption, they have no idea just how futile and feeble their plots and their plans really are. In God's eyes, David says that they're laughable. James Montgomery Boyce said, If God can laugh at the wicked, shouldn't we be able to at least refrain from being agitated by them? Amen. Don't let this world get to you, believer. You have a bright, bright future ahead of you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 14 and 15. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent the bow, or their bow, to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct, their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Okay, we see this scenario play out all over the place in the book of Psalms. Uh, we've already studied it in Psalm chapter 7, verses 15 through 16, for example. But the idea here is that the plans of the wicked are going to eventually backfire on them. I mean, the pit that they dig for other people, they're going to end up falling into themselves. The arrows that are meant for others are going to enter their own heart. Or even more literally, we could say the sin that they intended for others will end up casting them into hell. You know, Chris and I were sitting around the other night talking about just how often we see the story of Haman from the book of Esther played out in the Psalms. We see it a lot, don't we? Spurgeon noticed this too, and he wrote this. He said, like Haman... The wicked shall be hanged upon the gallows built by themselves for Mordecai. Hundreds of times this has been the case. Saul, who sought to slay David, also fell on his own sword. That's right. Sin sort of has a boomerang effect to it, doesn't it? Verses 16 and 17. 
A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. So here we see the difference between earthly riches and heavenly riches. Okay, And we learned that one Lord upholding you is greater than the riches of many, many wicked. I mean, how many people unfortunately miss this reality right here and they end up going after earthly riches and never are they ever upheld by the Lord. They prop themselves up with their riches. But one day their riches are going to vanish. In other words, their arms will be broken, is how David poetically said this. Their false sense of security is going to be taken away from them and there's going to be no one there to hold them up at that time. Verse 18 and 19, The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. So, do you see how a relationship with the Lord will sustain you all throughout your life and even into eternity here? When the days of the upright are over, they're going to receive their inheritance, which is going to last forever, all throughout eternity. I mean, that alone should give every believer confidence and satisfaction during this evil and difficult time. But look here. The Lord knows the days of the upright, okay? Now, this doesn't just mean that he knows how many days. Of course he knows that, right? All of them were fashioned before, before any of them were made, according to Psalm 139.16. But what David is getting at here is that he also knows the kind or the type of days that you're living in. He gets it. Okay, our God understands it. He knows that our days are evil. He knows that there's going to be famine, that there's going to be difficulty. But because the Lord upholds the upright and their inheritance is forever, then there's also great satisfaction, as David said. The New Testament way of saying that is there's hope, right? So don't lose heart. Verse 20, but the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish and to smoke they shall vanish away. So David agrees with James here. Our life is like a vapor, according to James chapter 4, verse 14. It's here for a little while and then it vanishes away. And the, the splendor of the meadow, it dies, obviously, when? When winter comes, okay? And so the wicked need to understand that God rejectors, those people who are wicked, that de the, the deadness of winter is coming. It's on its way. It's, it's coming for the enemies of the Lord. And I think that's the point David is trying to get across here is the splendor of the meadows shall vanish, the good times are coming to an end for those who reject God. Verse 21, the wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. So those who don't know God, they steal things. They take all that they can in this life. They hoard up as much as possible. Why? Because that's all they have. This life is all that they have. And so you, you've heard the mantra before, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Right? That's the idea. Like if I didn't belong to Christ and all, the only hope I had was in this life, that would make sense to me. But those who do belong to God, they act differently. They show mercy, David says, and they give what they can in this life. See the difference? It's a difference between getting and taking and giving and surrendering. 
Because those who belong to God, we know that our rewards are not found here in this life. Our rewards are coming in the next one, right? So believers, look toward eternity. Don't have any attachment to the things in this world. Verse 22, for those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. So David is simply restating his thoughts here from verse 9, but in just a little bit of a different way. Verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Okay, so the word good, I don't know if that's in your translation or not, but it wasn't actually in the original text of Scripture. Okay, that was added later for clarity. But the word for ordered here is better translated as established, according to the Hebrew word. So this verse should literally read like this, verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. But I do believe that the next verse here, verse 24, is going to reveal that David is in fact referring to believers here. I think that's accurate. So when a believer's steps have been established by God, what does that mean? It means to be set in a wide place, according to Psalm 31.8. To be established means to have your feet put on an even place, Psalm 26.12, or on solid ground, Psalm chapter 40, verse 2. When God has established a believer's steps in that way, then the Lord will delight in that person's life. Why? Because he's on the right path, so to speak. Okay. Now this verse pairs nicely also, I think, with verse 4 as well which says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So when our life is established in Christ, then we delight in him, and he in turn delights in us. And our desires become his desires, and his ways become our ways. Verse 24, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. So this verse here, I think, should serve as both a warning and a comfort to believers because in it we see the opportunity at least for believers to fall that's the warning it's possible i mean just because our steps have been established by the lord doesn't mean that we can't step outside of his path so to speak so be careful and by the way this also helps us to better understand the context of verse 23 because listen to this if the lord actually ordered our steps rather than establish it as the Hebrew word says. In other words, if the Lord actually predetermined each and every one of our steps, then he would be the one that's responsible when we fall. And we would not be culpable for our own sin because, you know, God just ordered everything that way. But since God has no part in sin, we know that when we fall, we are the ones that are culpable for that sin. We are the ones responsible for that sin, not God. So the warning here is to watch your step, believer. Be careful not to fall into sin, but the comfort in this verse is that if you do, then the Lord will uphold you with his hand. I mean, you might be disciplined, right? The Lord chastens those whom he loves. We'll read some more about that in Psalm 38 next week. But you're not ever going to be utterly cast down like the wicked. Verse 25, I have been young and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Now, I think we need to understand here that David is not making an absolute statement here. Remember, this is poetry that we're reading. He's not saying that the righteous will have a trouble-free life. I think everybody could say amen to that. Okay, He's just simply saying this. He's saying, all my life, 
all of my life, God has been faithful to me. From my youth all the way now into my old age, as I look back across the span of my life, David is saying, God has always been faithful to me. Amen. Verse 26, He is ever merciful and lends, and His descendants are blessed. So the righteous have learned how to be merciful here. How? Because their God is merciful. Just as the righteous people are also giving in verse 21. Why? Because they have been given so much. We learn how to do these things from our Heavenly Father, right? I mean, we, don't, we know how to give because we have been given so much. We have been given eternal life. So that in turn makes us givers. So I want us to look real quick at verse 26 here with Christ in view, okay? And learn something from our Savior here in this verse as well, who was, by the way, the greatest giver of all time, right? He was the one who gave the greatest gift of all time. He's the one who gave to us eternal life. So what do we learn here? We learn that our God is an eternal giver. As David says, he is ever merciful. He gives and gives and gives. But look at the word lend here. The word lend in the Hebrew is written like our word lava, pronounced similar, but it means to be joined. So to lend means to be joined. And I just love that because it tells us that a righteous person will be joined together with his God and with the children of God, with his descendants. In other words, how? Through mercy, through the eternal mercy of God. Very interesting. Does that sound familiar at all? Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So look at the beauty of this reality. Look at how this relates to Christ and his church here. God so loved the world, you know the verse, that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? John three sixteen, And he did this so that through his mercy, which is in the blood of Jesus Christ, we might be joined together with him through a relationship with his son. I just think that's amazing. And the result of that is that his descendants, God's descendants, will be blessed. There's no doubt about that. The children of God are eternally blessed. And we're going to be joined together with our Savior and with each other for all eternity. Verse 27. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. That's right. So David again is repeating himself here from verse 3, but in just a little bit of a different way. Verse 28. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. So again, David makes the point that God's going to judge. All right, you just leave that up to him. He's never going to forsake you. In fact, he's going to preserve you. But the wicked need to understand that their days are numbered. Verse 30 and 31. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. So I want you to look at what happens when God's law is in our heart. When we take God seriously, when we actually hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against him, as we read about in Psalm 119.11, then here is what happens. Our mouth becomes wise, and it becomes just. 
and our feet. They walk along the firm path of righteousness and no longer slide along that slope of sin. Remember, God will establish your feet on the path. Verse 23. But the, the psalmist said this. He said, I have hidden your word in my heart. And guys, that part's on us. Okay, that's on us. So get God's word off the page and into your heart. Read it. Absorb it. Meditate on it. And watch the difference that it will make in your mouth and in your feet. Verse 32 and 33. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he's judged. So, both the wicked and the Lord keep their eyes on the righteous. They watch the righteous. However, one of them wants to slay them and the other wants to deliver them. God sees your trouble. Okay? He knows your situation. Therefore, verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off you shall see it so david is offering a word of encouragement here for us to those who trust in the lord those who keep his way he's saying hang on believer you keep the faith okay things may be rough for you right now this world may be trying to beat you down the enemy may be on attack against you but god will exalt you God is going to have the final word in this thing, okay? Just you wait and see, he said. David said, you shall see it. Verse 35 and 36. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree, yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. So just like David has seen the faithfulness of God throughout his entire life, verse 25, he has also seen the results of a life of wickedness. The wicked may rise for a short time, and they may even achieve some great power. They might achieve great influence that spreads far and wide, like a healthy native green tree. But they will ultimately fall, and they will never be found again. Again, winter is coming for the wicked. And this reminds me of how David said it last week in our study of Psalm 36. In verse 12 of Psalm 36, he said, There the workers of iniquity have fallen. They have been cast down and are not able to rise. So the power of the wicked will one day no longer be able to be found. Verse 37. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. So David says, hey, look, if you don't want your life to be wasted and then forgotten like a wicked person's life, then you need to look to the upright. You need to look for a blameless person. In other words, somebody who trusts in God. I mean, he's exactly right, because that's the kind of person that we should mark out in our life as those we want to emulate. Look for the upright people around you. Look for those who really do trust in the Lord and walk by faith. Mark out those people in your life as mentors, People that you want to emulate, okay? Because that person has a great future ahead of him. David says he has a future of peace. That's not the future of the wicked, is it? Verse 38, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Just look at the contrast again. I mean, what's the opposite of peace? It's destruction. So those who think that hell's going to be like having a great time with old friends, they better think again. Because those who reject Christ in this life and continue on in their wickedness will suffer eternal destruction. 
They will be destroyed, according to verse 38. Hell is not going to be one big party. It's going to be eternal punishment. However, those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation in this life, they're going to have eternal peace in the next, verse 39 and 40. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. So look at what God does. God strengthens. God helps. He delivers. And ultimately, God saves those who trust in him. Praise God. I mean, what a savior. Are you weak today? Trust God. He is your strength. Are you in a tough spot in your life right now? I mean, do you find yourself in some kind of trouble or dilemma? Trust God. He is your help. Do you feel like there's not any way out of this situation that you're in? Do you feel like you're at the end of your rope? Well, that may be a good thing. I mean, what a great time for you to trust God because He will deliver you. You don't have to worry about that. Look at these promises, believer. Depend on the promises of God, not in your own ability to get yourself out of your situation, not in your own emotions. Salvation is from the Lord, and He will save those who trust in Him. So hang in there if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Hang on. Keep the faith. Don't give up, and don't give in to the wicked lies of the devil. Do not believe them. Trust in the Lord your God, and trust in the promises that you find written right here, in his holy word. Father, we love you and thank you for this time in your word tonight. I love how this psalm wraps up with the beautiful promises of God after telling us about the future of the righteous and the future of the wicked. They're two very different futures. But Lord, not only do you give us a brighter future, you give us eternal life in Jesus Christ. You give us heaven. All of those who trust you can count on that. But not only that, even in today, for the struggles and the troubles of today, you give us strength, you give us help, you deliver us and you save us. Lord, you're not just a God of someday, you're our God today. And we thank you for that, Lord. You're intimately involved in every detail of our life. And yet, you've given us so much hope for the future as well. And so that should help us in our day to day. Help us to depend upon you. Help us to count upon and believe in the promises that we read in your word. There's enough lies to go around from the wicked. There's enough wrong things out there to believe in and get us distracted and, and, and want things that will want to knock us off the path, so to speak. But help us to block out the noise. Help us to not get angry or agitated at all those who are wicked and they seem to prosper in their wicked wickedness. They seem to get their way all the time. They seem like they're happy and everything's going good and we know that that's not the case long term for them. So help us to not get angry about that. Help us to rejoice in the joy and the forgiveness and the mercy and grace that we experience in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given us eternal life. And then also the help and strength that we need for today. Help us to just keep our perspective right, our focus right, not get distracted, Lord, but to just rest as well. David mentions that. He mentions fret three different times. How often we fret and we worry when we need to have faith. So help us, Lord, to not fret, 
but to be people who walk by faith, people who rest in the promises of God, people who rest in the strength and deliverance and hope and help of our Savior and not get worked up about the things of this life, the things that are going on in this world. It's all going to be gone someday. But faith, hope, and love remain. You said these three things remain, 1 Corinthians 13. And so we look forward to remaining with you throughout eternity because of the grace you have given us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.